Listener, prepare thyself. You are now entering a realm of the strange, the silly, the surreal. I now present to you the Dashfire Diaries. You're listening to Pumpkinhead Jack, Part 3, The Lonely Path to Fen's End. Once there was a little girl named Clara. She lived in a village called Bogmore. It had once been called Swampton, but in the prior decade, the village elders decided to rename it because travelers on Lost Lamb Road didn't want to stay overnight in an inn in a place called Swampton. It was unwholesome, some said. Unholy, said others. And after young Grace Tippleton, Mayor Tippleton's beloved and only daughter, went missing, during a full moon whilst looking for her dog that run off one cold January night. All agreed it would be for the good of all to change the town's name. But that didn't stop people from hearing the wolves howl, the strange noises, and the little girl calling out, Papa, Papa, find me, Papa, in a plaintive voice that was not quite human. Neither pup nor lass were ever seen the sight of paradise again. And no wolves had been seen in Swampton since centurions last traveled the old Roman road. So the villagers steered clear of the fen. Swampton became Bogmore, and people lived quiet, fearful lives, and spoke of most things in hushed tones, and spoke of many things not at all. Although no one wanted to go to the vast tract of confusing, zigzagging paths that crossed the fen, a few intrepid souls had to. Ever since most of the trees had been cut down, laws were passed that required people not to burn wood in their hearths anymore. Rich people burned coal that was imported on horse-drawn wagons. Most people had to burn peat to cook and stay warm at night. Peat was the skin of the fen. It had to be cut, carried away, and dried before it could be burned for fuel or used to thatch villagers' roofs. With the legend of young Grace Tippleton hanging over their heads, none but fools, the mad, and the lowest, most unloved and unwanted people, went out to Fen's End to collect the peat. No one much cared if the people who were sent out to Fen's End came back again, except for the fact that people's houses would be cold and dark and they would not be able to cook their gruel if no one returned. And most did return, but some didn't. Clara was a waif, and like most waifs, she was quite dirty, had freckled cheeks, wore fingerless gloves, had ginger hair, and was downtrodden and morose. Her father earned a half penny a month by collecting coarse scraggle grass by hand and picking rocks out of farmers' fields, he squandered most of his wages on drink, which was quite cheap, and often forgot the names of his seven daughters, three sons, two half-tamed unruly squirrels, who may have been called Harold and Gerald, no one is really sure. Her mother was a melancholy slopstress who earned her keep by working in a slop shop and filling villagers' slop buckets with swamp juice, moldy bread, and old cabbage boiled in the same iron cauldron where people sometimes washed their socks. There was no longer any milk. After Sassy, the town moo cow dried up and retired. There were no more eggs in town after Frenchy, 
the one-legged chicken could no longer stand on the wooden leg Farmer Dan made for her from one of the few remaining twigs. After saving up a year's worth of wages from slop-slinging and grass-plucking, Clara's family would purchase one packet of gruel thickener in order to have slightly thicker gruel at holiday time in honor of the birth of Sky Baby, who was born in a manger and raised by sheep until he was five or six. No one is quite sure. All anyone knows is that he started bawling at people, and everyone called him simple until he zapped them with thunderbolts. Aye, one of the wise men was able to interpret the bawling and other animal noises Sky, Sky Baby made, and he wrote a book about it, which everybody reads during the slow times. Like her brothers and sisters, Clara was hungry and cold for most of the time, and at age seven she had never read a word in a book, eaten an egg, or heard music. She wore socks, which her mother sewed together out of clumps of moss from the fen, and shoes made of sticks, and soles made of pebbles that were held together with melted tar. Clara entertained herself by digging mud holes and making believe that different stones she found could talk to each other, since playing with dolls was not allowed. She was the youngest, the littlest, the least loved, the most forgotten, and was always coughing. But she was also the most clever, and just because she had never read a word in a book doesn't mean she had never read a word. She had to be clever to survive. She was given the most unpleasant, difficult chores. Clara's family... Clara's family's house was a room, one-room hovel. It had a dirt floor with an entryway with a flap of cowhide covering it. They pinned down the edge of the flap at night with a rusted iron spike that had washed ashore from a shipwreck. But in winter, the bog wind blew loud and fierce and it howled under the flap and brought snow and ice inside. Plumes of thick, acrid smoke escaped through its many cracks from the bubbling slop cauldron. The family had a hearth, more of a fire pit, really, but could not afford the luxury of a chimney. There had been a door once, but Pa had broken, off, broken it off and burned it during one of his rages. The brothers beat each other over bits of millet that fell to the floor. Pa had an old fowling piece that hung over the mantel next to the powder horn, a small pouch with some shot in it, and sheets of peat drying out to be used as fuel for the crumbling stone fireplace. Pa once was an able hunter, but as a young man, long before Clara was born, he'd seen something in the bog. He'd gone a-hunting with his best friend, Robbie Rifton, out Fen's Enway. Pa returned alone, wild-eyed, talking nonsense. He was mad. He raved about the blue lights, the will-o'-the-wisp, how the lights called him and Robbie further and further into the maze of bogs, and each time they got close, the lights retreated further away. Each time they thought they were close, they saw a stag, a large, juicy stag move, a stag whose meat could feed two families for a very, very long time. When he returned alone, they said he killed Robbie Rifton, but no one could prove it. Pa swore many an oath that Robbie was by his side one moment and gone the next, and that a hole opened up in the fen that swallowed him whole without a trace, leaving nothing but his hunting cap and one feather poking out at the surface of a tiny pond that formed. Bubbles, he kept saying. 
All I seen was bubbles in the mud. After he was acquitted of the crime of murder, he quit hunting and most other gainful activities. Took up drinking spirits. The musket stayed on the mantle and there was no meat for Clara's family ever since. In the night, Pa sometimes had fits. He got up and waved a big stick about, crying, They're coming! They're coming! One night, Clara awoke to hear her father raving again. It's not me! Not me! Jack done it! It's Jack! Go away! Clara approached her father on cat feet. She set down a warm mug of swamp tea. Pa was sweating and thrashing back and forth. Ma was snoring, and as usual, the others slumbered soundly. Pa! Wakey, wakey! It's all right, Pa! You're safe at home! Pa turned and grabbed his side. His eyes opened wide. He looked past the face of his child, staring at some unseen phantom of his distressed memory. I didn't do it! I ain't your killer, Robbie! It ain't me you want, lass! Pa! It's me, Pa. Clara tried again. It's just a dream. It's not real. Finally, his gaze turned towards Clara. He put a loving hand on her head and smiled a strange grin. His grizzled, scruffy face and beard shone in the moonlight that flowed through the glassless windows. I know who you are, he said gently. Then, without warning, he sat bolt upright and reached both his hands around Clara's neck. Leave me be, you devil! Why do you torture me, demon? Stop it, Pa. You're hurting me. Please, Pa. You have cursed me long enough, Grace Tippleton. Go find the one that killed you. I don't know, Jack. Get out of my house, cursed specter. By now, Clara couldn't breathe. Her father lifted her in the air by the neck. Her straw-colored hair was pasted to the sides of her face with tears and the terrified sweat of her father's hands. She let out a gasp. And for a moment, everything became calm. Clara thought she could hear birds singing. She felt peaceful despite the ringing in her ears. Then a voice came into her head, the voice of a little girl like herself. Fight him, Clara, fight him. Clara opened her eyes and felt a spasm run through her body. With the last of her strength, she kicked Pa on the shin. He yelped and dropped her. She then picked up the mug of hot tea she had procured for him and flung it in his face. Her father roared, cocked back a fist, but before he could land the blow, a long, low fart came from his behind. He giggled, and so did Clara. Bless me beans, he said. Too much cabbage slop. What is you doing up at this hour, you little ragamuffin? He said. But the fight and terror were gone from his voice. Get out of my sight before I thump you good, you little mistake. Yes, Pa. Pa, what was you dreaming of? Who's Jack? What? How do you know Jack? Don't you ever say that name again, or by God, I'll... He raised a hand to backhand her, but Clara had long ago learned to be deft and fleet of foot, and she darted out of the way and darted out the door. She ran outside and put her hands to her face. Find me, Clara, find me, said the same disembodied voice that spoke to her whilst Pa was out of his mind. Clara suddenly lost all hope. She stifled a sob, then another, and then the tears began to readily flow, and her body convulsed with despair. 
The next day, the house was cold and desolate. Clara could hear her parents squabbling. Look, said her ma, I got me too many already. There ain't enough slop to put on this table. The boys devour everything like locusts. We need to rid ourselves of this pestilence. No, woman. You listen here, we got too many. I don't want so many more than you. But here they are now, our mistakes, not God's. There's already a bed being warmed for us in hell. I don't want to be cursed any more than I is. We must find a way to keep them all until they starve on their own. You fool! We'll all die then! You've brought us nothing but shame ever since you come back from Fen's End way out Robbie those years ago. You ain't done nothing but fart up the house and eat the slop without doing nothing but a drinking and carrying on. I want you to get rid of your mistakes. We said no more after Ian, but three more we had. You need to do something about Clara. We can't carry on anymore. She's the sweetest one, my little Clara. Clara heard Pa say. She's scrawny, said Ma. She's too little, too much work, and she ain't gonna live long anyway. I'll not do it, said Pa. You will, said Ma. You will, or I will go to the magistrate and tell him I know something about Robbie, something I ain't shared with them them years ago. You wouldn't. Oh, won't I then? Clara was watching them through a knothole on the side of the house. The next words that came were muffled, but she could tell that the fight had gone out of her paw. The next few days, Clara's family carried on as though nothing had happened. Then her father said, Clara, get your long coat. You need to take a trip with me. Clara felt her head, her heart sink. Where are we going, Pa? Out to Fen's End. House is cold. We need to get more peat. Clara put her coat on. Long ago, it once had buttons, but her father had sold them so he could get money for drink. She tied it shut with bits of twine she'd found on the village streets. Pa, don't we need a gunny sack for to carry the peat? Oh, right. Clever girl. I almost forgot. Uh, pa laughed nervously and didn't look at Clara as he reached past her and grabbed a sack hanging on the wall. Binder.